have a, a slim book to show, I have a pine book to show, and I have a new slim book to show, and I have some guinea pigs to show, and some iron brew. So you can take your pick from them. Nice. <laughs> oh, fantastic, man. Are you recording now? I am. Rocco, how does it sound? I don't know how it sounds yet. <laughs> right now, I'm not running KDE, but there are other reasons for that. Who knows? Maybe we'll get into them. Sure, we can fix that right, at the end, of this, <laughs> end of this recording. Okay. Everybody ready? Let's do it. Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 52. I'm Rocco. And I'm Ryan. And this is Destination Linux. Ryan, today we have somebody with us that is pretty awesome to have on a podcast. What do you think? This individual works on a lot of things that you'll go through here in a second, a lot of things, but maybe best well-known at the moment for the work on KDE Neon, Jonathan Riddell. Jonathan, you are a canoeist, a computer person, former developer of Kubuntu, the first Ubuntu core developer. Your your list goes on and on and on. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much for having me. It's, uh, it's a big honor and uh, very pleased to be on. And uh, it's, it's quite a dark, dark night in, in Scotland here. It's a very sad week, very tragic week. So it's good to be cheered up by, by yourselves. <laughs> and it's tragic because they're removing sugar from one of your favorite beverages. This is our, this is our national drink. It's called Iron Brew. And, and it's the stuff that we all grow up on. You get weaned of it as a, as a wee bairn. Right. And this, this week, they're, they're changing the recipe of it. So they're removing half of the sugar. It's the nanny state diet. Uh, nanny state trying to get us to not die of heart attacks and stuff so this is the very last town of iron brew oh look at this cool sugar on cool our sugar. show yes and uh <laughs> we'll celebrate it together tonight Here, i'll on, cheers you with the show. diet coke that has I, no sugar i got coffee so. speaking of nanny state. no sugar <laughs> well that's a shame that's a shame they're removing your favorite beverage everybody knows uh you know coders and computer people we need our sugar to stay up late and continue working on our projects and removing that sugar certainly means uh, it's going to have an impact on the level of code that comes out of Scotland now, I think. Yeah. It, it will be a shame, um, but it, it's a balancing act. Of course, I understand you don't want people dying of heart attacks. And, and at some point you've got to say, well, no more, no more heart attacks, but, right. but what are we going to do on those late nights? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so did you stock up for, with cases and cases of the, what, what is there now? Well, I tried to. I went to the shops, and and but this is the last one left in the local <laughs> shop because there's been panic buying throughout the country, and and the whole, the whole country has had to had to stock up on this stuff. I've been away for Hogmanay and come back, and and there's none left. So that is so funny that the drink's causing that much. You know, the company's kind of liking it at least at the moment, right? Because everybody's mm -hmm. buying out their entire stock. All right, so let's get into some of the questions here. One of the things that I noticed when I was going through your profile, John, is, and, and this comes out immediately, and I thought this was quite interesting because as a fellow geek, uh, you actually go outside and do activities like canoeing. You're a huge canoeist. You're big into canoeing. So what got you, what got you into that? Because geeks aren't supposed to be athletic. That's like a rule. It's important to, it's important to get beyond your boundaries and get, and get out from your screen and... Uh, 
get talking to people and and yeah improve your people skills um and i i love to do that by paddling along the canal which is at the back of my flat here uh-huh. uh, and I, I can commute to the office and work uh, along the canal or i can commute out of town oh wow and then on a on a good weekend i'll find a river and jump off some waterfalls or i'll i'll organize some courses and teach people how to capsize in 50 different ways <laughs> and i highly recommend that that every geek takes on some skill but also takes on the skill of teaching that skill because then of course that improves your your people skills in all aspects of life i love how you said take on teaching that skill i think that's number one it's one of the best ways to learn i've found mm. if you take i mean that's kind of the foundation of my youtube channel was hey i'm doing all this geeky stuff all the time and to solidify it in my brain if i'm going to teach somebody about it then i've got to learn it deeper and know it better uh to be able to pass that on but so in my area, I live in uh, the mountains of Georgia in the U.S., and we do whitewater rafting out here. And, well, I wouldn't say um, I'm very good at it. I've fallen out quite a bit, and it's quite embarrassing every time we go. But it is a lot of fun uh, when you're with the right people that kind of keep it safe. So definitely neat there. So if you were forced to choose between having to canoe full-time, because you're a coach, it's not just something you do on the side, right? I mean, you're a level two coach. You take it seriously or coding KDE neon. Someone said, Hey, which one's it going to be? Which do you choose? Don't, don't ask me that. That's a, it's a terrible question. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't choose between, between my two loves. It's meant to be a terrible question. <laughs> um, and of course, I, I can combine them. I, I've been to. You can't gone, code water, you canoe? It's not quite combine them that closely, but I can commute into the office by canoe or I, I've uh, moved, to, moved to Guadeloupe so I can. Go canoeing in in the mornings and then code when when it gets dark. Um, I, it would be very difficult to split the two. And, and they're, they're complementary, of course, because right. because one is uh, useful to the world um, at large because we get to give away our our software and that gets used by millions of people all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one is useful to me and my community and and the people who I live around. So they they just go together really nicely. And I, I don't agree. think I don't think. I couldn't choose. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Now, now, it was am, meant to be a silly question. In in a couple of weeks' time, I'm I'm going to go to Uganda to give up uh, coding for a couple of weeks and go and kayak on the Nile. So here, using the latest of uh, split screen video technology, is uh, where I'm going to be paddling on. <laughs> Look at that! Nice. That's amazing. Wow, that's going to be a lot so, of fun. And how long are you going there? The biggest one for that I've ever paddled on. Well, two weeks, but but we'll see. I might not come back and, <laughs> love the place and, and just decide, no, I'll, and I'll go and live here and, and not come back. I, I guess know. it depends on how good the internet connection is. Right. As, as far as I know, the, it's on an island in the middle of the Nile called the Hairy Lemon. And as far as I know, there is no internet connection. So it, that is forcing <laughs> oh, that choice You'll to be come made. back then. <laughs> we'll, we'll see we'll see if you don't hear from me i've either drowned right. in love with the nile <laughs> all right so in a prior interview you mentioned that you started with kd back in 1999 so was that where you started with linux or did you start with linux earlier than that yeah i think that was when i started with linux um and it's the usual story of uh i moved to university got my own computer for the first time uh and a friend of mine um, Paul Sladen, who's 
who you can also Google and is an interesting character who I love very much. He gave me a SUSE CD and I installed it and and um, thought, well, this is a bit rubbish. How can I fix? How can I fix the bug? <laughs> and, and then and then you find yourself fixing one bug and then you go, oh, that was awesome. Yeah, I can do that. Um, but this bug needs fixed over here, or uh, or I need that feature or something added, and uh, and then you get hooked, and uh, and especially at university because um, you're meant to be learning how to how to code, how programs work, um, and they they teach you academic stuff like UML or or you know, formal specification, um, but they don't teach you stuff like how to read a bit of code that's already been written so you can improve it, or how to read an API, and the only way to do that is to get into open source. And at the time, Linux on the desktop was going to going to explode in the next few years. So I thought I'll get into this, make my career in it. Very nice. So you go from working on KDE. How do you get involved with um, Ubuntu and Canonical? Well, I'm a Quaker, which is a quite a niche kind of uh, religion, uh, especially because I'm an atheist. So I guess as religions go, that's fairly niche. Uh, and I was hanging around, <laughs> hanging around in London with a bunch of Quaker geeks. And the, the Venn diagram between Quakers and, and geeks is also fairly small. So there was only about a dozen of us. And uh, we were in London and we were discussing projects that we were working on. And uh, one of my good friends, David Harris, was working on a project called Shuttleworth Super Secret Debian Startup. And this was being run by a spaceman who had decided that he would uh, take Debian and tidy it up, and um, and this was going to take over the world of Linux in, in, as soon as it was announced. So I thought this was a good idea, um, but it, tragically I heard that KDE was not to be included on it. So I made lots of uh, writings and blog posts saying, KDE people, we need to get involved in this project because it's going to be significant and uh, we're, we're going to be left behind if we're not involved in it. Uh, so. When Ubuntu was launched, my blog was the most top hit in it, so that they found it in in Ubuntu and they and they got in touch and asked if I wanted to get involved and help out. And at some point, we were talking about this uh, a little bit in the pre-show, but you became an Ubuntu core developer. So what that you were saying that means you were kind of one of the first individuals who was able to release code into the core. Yeah. So the they had to create a whole community process as part of Ubuntu. Because at the time, it was defining itself as being, let's tidy up Debian and make it a bit slicker and a bit smoother. And that included the community process, mm-hmm. uh, which at the time in Debian, which is an awesome community, but it was it was literally blocked at the time because they couldn't have any new Debian developers and so forth. So they, they were creating a new uh, community process for how to get people on board. Um, and as part of that, they were working out uh, how, do we, how do we give people permissions and what committees and groups and and councils do we need? Um, so the, they were finding their way, and, and eventually they managed to find their way into defining something called an Ubuntu core developer. And um, and I went along to that first meeting and said, I can I can um, contribute in this way and that, and here's some some proof of the that I'm not going to screw things up and and what I've done before. And and so they gave me access to the entire archive, but wow. they but. With the explicit instruction that I could only upload anything beginning with K, and <laughs> as far as I know, that instruction has never been has never been lifted. <laughs> oh my gosh! So is that where all the K stuff comes from? 
because if if suddenly if suddenly we start naming programs in KDE with better names, then I won't be allowed to upload them to Ubuntu. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. All right, so you work with Blue Systems, but you also have your own consultancy business. So what do you what do you what is that involved, and what do you do there? Uh, well, it's mostly um, uh, it just the branding that I use, Edinburgh Linux, whenever on the rare occasion that anybody comes along and says, we are interested in building Linux on our devices, can you help us? Um, and, and of course, the main people I work with are, are Blue Systems, which is uh, one company that does lots of interesting projects in KDE. And, and I've also done projects before with, for example, uh, NCR, which is the, the company that makes most of the cash machines in the world. You call them ATMs. Yep, nice. Um, and at the time, they had Windows NT on it, and that was out of support for Microsoft. And so the banks were going, really, you should you should put something secure on this. Um, <laughs> we're going to pay you to put Linux on it. So I, so I made them a, a, a custom distribution to put Linux on their, on their distributions. Um, or for example, I, I was asked uh, a couple of years ago, a friend, he, he does websites for a company that rents out properties like Airbnb, but but in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people go into the property, there's a paper folder and they, they look through the folder for when do you put out the rubbish or, or whatever other information. And they wanted that as a tablet and they wanted it as a, as a locked down tablet so that people could go in and, and easily use this device. Um, but but they, they couldn't screw up and mess up with the device. So we came up with a plan for how to put in um, Plasma Mobile and, and Linux system on that device, which was uh, friendly and easy to use, but you can easily break it either deliberately or, or unconsciously. Right. It must be nice running into you and having you convert somebody to Linux. It's like, I don't know, learning chess from Bobby Fisher. Like there's no problem they're going <laughs> to run into that you're not going to be able to fix for them. You know, I mean, that's got to be great for them. Uh, if Definitely if somebody needs uh, consulting Linux, uh, you know, uh, help, that would be a, a great, you couldn't find much better contacts uh, than uh, John here. To help with that. So of all the projects we in the business, I work in telecom, we deal with, we deal with consultants a lot. And I always ask them, you know, what are some of your favorite projects that you work on? Because they always have that one project that's stuck in their mind where, you know, they were able to make a big impact or see something come to fruition that they wanted. Do you have a one story like that? Actually, you're flashing me too much. Um, it, <laughs> it, it's always... It's always lovely to uh, to see where your work gets used that you weren't previously aware of it, and that happens an awful lot in free software because mm-hmm. we don't track people, so we don't know who uses our stuff. Um, but for example, if you're if you're watching the Hobbit film, and and you see, you've seen an awful lot of of Bilbo Baggins uh, fighting off the baddies, and then you're so keen that you watch a DVD extras, then you can see at Weta Digital how they have all their computers running KDE software, running uh, Ubuntu and running uh, our software. And that's, that's really, Oh my God. It's really, really, really flattering to know. That, oh, that's so awesome. That these really fantastic graphics that, that you've just seen in this brilliant production that, that they make, that, that you've enabled them to be able to do that. And that, that's really satisfying. Well, I mean, that is such an important thing to highlight because you're not just talking about good graphics. You're talking about graphics that won awards for being completely state of the art. For instance, they had, completely reinvented the idea of how many enemies they could show on a screen at one time, uh, which was completely new code that they had put into place that now a lot of movies are using. There was a lot of cutting edge stuff that happened 
in the filming of that movie. And it's pretty cool to know that some of the computers, at least, if not all, were utilizing some of the products that uh, you've helped build. That's awesome. What a great movie, too, yeah, uh, to be linked to. And and what's interesting about them is how they do it in on the most isolated country on the map in New Zealand. It's right on mm-hmm. the edge of the map. And so they they don't live in the bubble where they think, well, we'll do what the folks next door are doing. They think from scratch, how are we going to do this when we don't have Microsoft up the road or, or IBM up the road or something? We'd, we'd better work out how to do this ourselves. And they work out how to do it themselves and they do it better. Yeah, you should frame that part of the movie and uh, put it in a picture in the back because that's too cool. Now I've got to go get the DVD to find that section. Well, what reminds me of another movie is on your Twitter page, you have a profile pic with <laughs> which you appear to have like a face tattoo. So, you know, is it easy to get work with a face tattoo or what? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's the canoeing side of the of my of my work. Um that's an event called the Artemis Kildrogan Quadrathlon. And, uh, Easy for and you to say. Go up to the Highlands and uh, all these fit people get up at five o'clock in the morning and they start off by swimming swimming along Loch Tay, which is a, a very cold and narrow swim. So so they hire people like me to get up at five o'clock in the morning and accompany them across the loch and make sure they don't drown um, and give them somewhere to rest for when they, when they do get tired. Uh, and then we get the rest of the day uh, to to sit back and relax and get free food and play in the bench of castle and have the face painter paint our faces. So <laughs> that's a, a really fun event and, and yeah, a really quite rewarding job. Oh, we love that picture. And it cracked me up when I saw it, when we wrote the question of the face of the face tattoo, clearly you've had it lasered off since then. So mm, you're all good. Clearly. It was only temporary. Clearly. <laughs> okay. All right. So one of the biggest news items for 2017 was Ubuntu going to the GNOME desktop. So there were many people, including myself, that asked the question, why not KDE? So were you asking the same thing or what's your thoughts on that whole situation? Um, I don't want to get too deeply into this because our, my relationship with Ubuntu is, is somewhat mixed and, and <laughs> they, they've, taken that time something of a dislike to me and so i don't want to spend my life moaning about them because i guess it's unfair since they're not here to defend themselves um if they want to pick on gnome then that's fabulous because it it means i don't have to get too close to whatever they're doing and it means that the stuff that i've gone on to do in kd neon retains its important niche and its important use case um I, I guess it, you can see it as being symbolic of how the desktop is now not terribly important to the commercial side of Ubuntu, um, and and so how they've just reverted back to what they did before. And there's some interesting stuff in GNOME as a platform. It has many many lovely features, but they're just not as many lovely features as Plasma has. Right. So it's good, but not as good as KDE. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> obviously. Well, so, you know, some of that, when you, when you go through, obviously, and, and, you know, look up your name, you could see some of the stories about some of that kind of stuff that went on, but ultimately it led to something amazing. It led to you uh, going off and creating KDE Neon. So what point did you decide I'm going to start a distribution well, I mean, some people call it, it's not, say it's not really a full distribution. Well, let's start there. Is KDE Neon a full distribution? 
Well, no, not as my understanding of a, of a distro because a distro will care about the whole operating system. Um, and that's more than I want to care about. I just want to stand on the shoulder of giants and care about the stuff I care about, which is mostly KDE's output. So what would KDE Neon, what's the category that you put it in? Well, it, I mean, a, you download it to an ISO, you stick it in a computer, <laughs> it installs, it's an operating... To me, oh, yeah. so if you, if I'm you trying to it, figure like, it out as a new Linux like Yeah, so you can use it as your full distribution, and that is, that's the most common mm -hmm. use case, um, is that you, you install it as your full distribution. Um, but most of what you're installing there, of course, is, is just coming from uh, Ubuntu packages. Um, but the, the magic stuff that, that we add is, is that we work deliberately with, uh, directly with the KDE developers as part of KDE, as just one of many projects within KDE uh, to get their sh software shipped as quickly as possible. Interesting. Okay, so... Um, the 1804 LTS is releasing April 26th. So how quickly will KDE Neon be moving to 1804? I don't know. Um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully pronto. Um, uh, but we've never done this before, so I'm reluctant to say it'll be on the day. Uh, but we are, we are building our packages against 1804 currently, um, and most of those are built. Uh, we have some of the infrastructure or no, we have put in place the infrastructure for user upgrades. Uh, so in theory, it's all there. Um, but of course, this is engineering and computer software and, and robots can certainly come. So I don't want to say immediately, but it will be prompt. Nice. So for those that don't know, you know, Neon offers uh, a couple different versions, the user LTS, the user edition, developer editions. What is the main differences between the two uh, and why are there three of them? Like, what's the purpose of each one specifically? Well, let's start with the purpose of Neon, which is that in in open source software, we have this crazy split where we have these people who write the software over here and we have these people who distribute the software over here and occasionally they overlap, but for, for very much of the time they don't. Um, and that's just weirdly inefficient and it's just... Um, I think it's a very old mindset, and I, I think it is not particularly sustainable uh, in a world where every single computer is hackable today, and mm -hmm. and nobody knows um, what how many devices I have in my back cupboard that suddenly won't won't be updated, and and suddenly everybody can hack on them. Um, it needs it needs the people who write the software to be able to put the software on those devices immediately, um, and it needs the people who write the software. When they when they make a release and go here, I've I've made all these shiny new features, and the users go fabulous. I want the shiny new feature to be able to get the shiny new feature, and under the old old distribution model, that's not particularly possible because uh, either they're only released every six months, so you have to wait six months, or you have to find some obscure additional repo to add, or uh, or you have to um, um, or you have to compile it yourself, which sane people, normal people can't do. Right. Um, so, so Neon uh, was always designed to be deliberately a KDE project so that we would uh, be part of KDE. And I'm the release manager for uh, Plasma, which is KDE's flagship project. Uh, so I'm, I'm able to make sure that when something is needed in Plasma, then it's in, in Neon and ready there for it. Um, and one of the use cases for Neon is users who 
want that software. Uh, but it's also for our developers. Uh, our developers want to make sure that the software they're developing is um, is available to for people to test and that it well it actually works. And so we have these multiple editions based on the multiple use cases of our of our software. Uh, the users, which so we have an automated system. It's very fashionable, very DevOps, um, very uh, continuous integration system uh, that will automatically pick up releases and and build them and, and release them. And that's the stuff which should be good for users. But there's some automatic QA in there as well. So it, it doesn't get released within the minute. It takes about half an hour because the QA runs to make sure that the stuff can actually install and run. Um, and then there's the developer editions, which just build directly from Git. So that's a bit scary and a bit crazy, and you would only run it if you know what Git is, for example. Um, yep. If you if you know what the process is of people putting in stuff into Git, um, and yeah, how reliable that is, which is um, <laughs> more reliable than than you would think, but occasionally it breaks. And and so if you want to test the latest and greatest, then you use the developer editions, or if you just want to be a normal user, you use the normal user. And you still got the software pretty pronto. So <clears throat> when you guys are going through your development process, you've got these different additions, obviously, that push to the edge. But based on when you talked about defining Neon to begin with, it's kind of every edition is cutting edge in a way, right? Because you're, oh, yes, absolutely. you're, you're always getting the latest. It's just the ones, the other editions, like, for instance, the developer editions, for instance, they're going to be way on the cutting edge, meaning this thing just came out and it's got bugs, pretty much guaranteed. We're going to work those out before we move them to the user editions, but that's when you would utilize that type of test case. Is that fair then? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the story of how it began was we were we were on Venice Beach in Los Angeles and it's a beautiful <laughs> beach and it's really nice and long and, and there's waves coming in and we took surfing lessons on, on Venice Beach there. Um, and when you're surfing, you have to you have to be lying down and paddling, and then you have to suddenly stand up and do this yoga lunge into standing up. And that's the most difficult part that that I can never quite get the hang of. Um, and it would be an awful lot easier if the waves just stopped, so you could stand up, and then you said waves start. But that'd right. be that'd be crazy and inelegant, and it's not how the world works, and it's not how the world should work. You just want to continue on going. So. The old district model is like if the wave just stopped and people said, okay, can we stand up now? And it, it's very clunky. And uh, and the current way that we do it in Neon, redefining how open source works by just working with people who make the software, doing it continuously, uh, doing it um, using modern DevOps techniques where the, the system is just defining code and, and like if all our servers blew up, then okay, we would start some new cloud servers and, and we've got all the code defined and then we start. And that's an awful lot, awful lot more elegant than how it used to be done. How did you guys come up with the name Neon, by the way? Oh, that so that's my my good friend and colleague Harold, who uh, is, puts in most of the work behind the the code that runs our servers and uh, is a elite KD kind of person. Uh -huh. um, and Harold came up with Neon because uh, it fitted in with the the rest of the names in KDE, which were to do with physical objects, including plasma. And if you have neon lights, then the gotcha. place, that's a plasma if you have nice. neon lights. Very cool. All right. So there is a myth out there that KDE is heavy on resources because maybe so, at one time it was. So Rocco, guess what? Last uh -oh. night when we were talking about the show, okay? 
you said KDE is the ego Ryan. It, it, it's a myth, you know, that KDE is heavy on resources, right? Yes. And I, but as a new Linux user, I've heard this all the time. KDE is heavy on resources. KDE is heavy on resources. Now I put it on my Ryzen build. It hasn't gone on the beast yet. But last night when you told me that, I took Neon and I put it on my old 2012 MacBook Pro. Was I right? Because you, <laughs> not only were you right, but I came across something really interesting I wanted to ask Jonathan about. So I was running a different distro. I won't name it because I don't want to bash any distro. I was running a different distro that's kind of known as being a light to mid light a distro. And it was using about the exact same resources as KDE. So that part busted, right? KDE's not in, wasn't any heavier on resources at all. But I had Telegram running when I was doing a system monitor and also an HTOP to look at resources using. I had Telegram running. And on the other distro, I was running at 40% of my CPU. When I went into KDE and used Telegram, my CPU was only at 6% usage. The processes were the same. Does does is there something with KDE that makes it able to handle that type of package be more resource friendly with that? Or is it just some type of fluke? Yeah, yeah. We've got magic team. <laughs> uh, I'll switch to the other camera and I'll show you the magic team working away in the back room. It's uh it's our oh, magic team of them. guinea pigs. They it's are magic good. KDE team. I love Wait, it. which which one did the uh, resource calibration? So, so they're constantly doing a process of, of re-evaluation and, and uh, improving our software, making it run much faster. That blonde one looks like Rocco. Oh my and, and, and although you don't realize it, we, we use the uh, vulnerabilities that somebody found in Intel and ARM today uh, in order to install the guinea pigs directly on your computer <laughs> so, that, so that they will... Um, so they're working away in the background and uh, making sure all the windows are smooth and, and making sure the animations are nice and that the indexing gets done, uh, doing all the hard work uh, while let, just letting the CPU pretend that it's, it's got some important... I don't see uh, a single keyboard roles. in there. I think you're lying. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's only three. <laughs> there's only three magic people on the team. Of <laughs> three guinea pigs here, yes. yes. But they're very hard working. There you go. Anyway. So do you guys do anything different with optimization of certain software do you think that's just a fluke what were your thoughts on that i mean of course we do we, we do lots of things but no there's no one single um quick fix for these things mm -hmm. um but a lot of it uh is also done it's done in qt the the uh, widget toolkit that we use mm -hmm. um and and we use that for most of our physical applications or all of our visible applications and and including Quinn, the window manager, which of course means that it, it improves the performance of every uh, application, even even non-KDE, non-Qt stuff. Um, and, and that's written in such a way that um, it makes best use of the accelerated graphics of available to your hardware, uh, but, but it successfully degrades in, in, uh, in a user-friendly, non, non, uh, in a way that is usually not noticeable. Um, when running on on older hardware or hardware that doesn't have the magic graphics chips, uh, so it, it's just good software engineering done by um, done guinea by, pigs, done by guinea pigs, done by <laughs> teams of developers working working on, on all sorts of different devices. Uh -huh. uh, so what, one of the great things about KDE is we make software not just for Linux desktop, um, but also for for Windows, for Android, uh, and for cars, for anything, and and 
and for uh, well, and for plasma mobile, which I guess we'll get onto. And and having that cross-device spectrum means that the stuff from one device over here also improves the performance on all the other devices because it it makes it makes the user interface scalable and makes the the technology scalable to the machine that you have. So you mentioned Windows there, and uh, it kind of kind of leads into one of the the questions. So Microsoft creates this walled garden, right, where they have Office and some other programs, and sometimes they'll share it with Mac if there's enough of a interest over there. Or they think somebody, you know, for instance, like Apple or iPhone, they'll move their products over there. For the most part, they try to wall garden DirectX and all these other things for keeping people. But then we've got these Linux folks over here producing some of which we'll get into in a minute, the best applications, uh, some of the best applications out there and also making them for Windows. So they're a walled garden, but we're sharing all of our stuff with them. Why? Is that a good thing? Uh, is it a good thing? It, it, it's freedom. It, you can't stop it. Uh, Katie had this big debate a decade ago when we were first able to port stuff to Windows. And some people said, yeah, we should do this. And some people said, no, we shouldn't do that. It's letting them in. And then reality is that is freedom and and in free software you can't say no you can't do that because um, because then you kill off your own your own community and your own users. Um, Interesting. So so you can't stop people running stuff on Windows and if they want to do that then they have their reasons and they may or may not be good reasons but they're they're important reasons for those people um, and it's nice that they get to use such freedom as they can. So what are your thoughts on uh, Windows 10 uh, recent uh, news about offering Linux shell in the software store? <laughs> I'm yet to try it. Um, it successfully shows that... that Linux is uh, awesome. Linux, yeah. Linux is awesome. <laughs> um, I, I, whenever I use a Windows computer, I, I do go, why the heck does anyone use this nonsense? I can't work out how to be productive in this stuff at all. Um so I guess it's nice that people have this new way to be vaguely productive with it. Um, mm -hmm. um, and I guess we can just hope that it makes people go all the way and, and suddenly realize they don't need Windows at all. Well, what I found interesting, I have I have been playing with it. And uh, what I found interesting about it is people have already found one of the things they lock down is your ability to launch GUI applications, right? It's supposed to be just kind of shell scripting. Well, people have already in the Linux world figured out how to work around that. And now they're launching the full on programs with the GUIs within the emulator. It's, you never tell a Linux person you can't do something because <laughs> by tomorrow they will have done it. Uh, so they're already finding workarounds for that. But it's kind of interesting because there were a lot of theories when that came out about is this Microsoft trying to absorb some of the impact Linux is having? Is this Microsoft kind of doing a play that they've done with other companies in the past? To me, it seems kind of non-eventful from a Linux standpoint. I don't really hear that much about it. So one thing that certainly stands out from KDE is the suite of applications. So let's talk about a few of these applications in detail. Like, you know, like, I don't know. Dolphin file manager, the best file manager on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely the best file manager bar none. When you start out a distribution, when you start out in KDE, um, you start out with all of these settings. And one of the reasons that Dolphin is so good is because of the ability to customize it to the way you want. So is, I mean, obviously that's by design, but how much of it is by design to allow people to customize everything? 
I mean, obviously, it's got to work first. Oh, yeah, it's an important part of, of the philosophy of KDE these days. Um, so to introduce KDE in general, um, it started out as being a desktop with a bunch of applications that work together. Uh, and it's long since grown beyond that. And so we uh, create Plasma on the desktop, and we have a whole bunch of projects that just work on their own. And we have a suite of applications that get released every four months called KDE applications. Um, and But it's a community. So we have all, all these people who work uh, across the different projects. Um, so if you bring in your particular project into KDE, uh, the advantage is that you there are people um, who just want to help out everywhere across the KDE community. Um, and these, these are people that include translators. So, so if you import your program, suddenly you get 50 odd different translations. Um, but it includes designers as well and people who work on usability. And that means that they, they can keep things uh, functional and, um, and consistent with the other applications. Um, and they tend to be guided by the philosophy of uh, simple by default and powerful when needed. And so if you fire up Dolphin, it's a simple uh, file manager when you, when you first run it and it, it's got your folders and it's got your back keys and, and that's all you need. Uh, but as you feel that you suddenly need some new feature like labeling or searching, then uh, it's easy to find out where those features are and they're designed so that they shouldn't get in the way uh, of users um, until they need them. And then when they need them, they don't get in the way, they are easy to find and they're easy to use. Well, one of the programs that we use uh, constantly is Caden Live, and another absolutely awesome program. Um, the best. Well, when Linux. we talk about Caden Live, I mean, Caden Live was one of the core reasons I stayed with Linux. It, it really was because at the time I was doing YouTube content and I was using all Adobe products. I didn't want to run Wine and all that type of stuff. I was testing Linux out. Caden Live was one of those programs that somebody recommended on my channel when I was doing the Linux challenge. And when I found it, I was like, oh, this is a video editor I can actually use that's easy. It's not overly complex, but it has the complexity you need to do uh, diff you know, very difficult things if you need it to. But the, on the offset, cutting, clipping, moving videos around, adding text, overlays, all that stuff is it's kind of native to your normal you know, movements that you would in any video editor, meaning the stuff is where you would expect it to be. And that's what I think makes Caden Live super powerful. Definitely one of the best ones. And the ones I keep telling you, another one, Rocco, is Krita. Krita is just amazing. You, have, I don't know if you've checked it out yet, but that's one of the ones I've told you i just absolutely fallen in love with. Very, very powerful. No, uh, I have not. As well. I'm, I'm not a, I don't have a use case for it. So uh, that's why. Because you're not graphically out. inclined, but I'm, either am I, and I still play with wow. it. Wow. <laughs> so and Krita is quite a niche application, um, uh -huh. but it... It leads its field, uh, even amongst um, the, the proprietary, more established applications. So it's a painting application, and you can use it to draw cartoons and um, mm -hmm. and 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 simulate the effects that you would get with with paintbrush and oil brushes and whatnot uh, right. using using one graphics. So it's not a replacement for uh, Photoshop or the GIMP or whatever. Um, it, it's it's a niche application for for people who are professionals and who are really very talented and the, the artworks that they make with that program are stunning. Really oh, beautiful. it's amazing. Just go on the website and it'll just blow you away. Well, the one thing that the one program that does it for me is KD connect. And that is so brilliant. It is, it is the reason that I love KDE because of the innovation that you guys do 
where you'll take something that's needed and you'll look at it and you'll say, hey, we need this in it in the in a Linux system and you go do it and it works awesome. It's pro it's one of my favorite apps that has come out in the last couple of years. It's such a it's such an obvious idea once you once you use it, you wonder why nobody else has bothered to come up with the idea or even particularly copy it. Having having your phone work with your desktop so that you get text messages on your desktop or or the music stops when you're answering a call or something. That that seems just it, it's just seamless and obvious once once you're used to it. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's astonishing that nobody else seems to have parried it. it. It's such an important feature that Mac users had for a long time with iMessage. And, it, you know, it's just one of those things that you kept wondering, why does nobody else doing this in Windows, like you said, or any other platform? And I think there have been many attempts, but they failed. But the one thing I love, like Rock was saying about KDE Connect, is it really, truly works. I mean, it has a find your phone feature that rings your phone, which is awesome. You've got the notifications, the ability to move files back and forth super simple to set up and get working. And it is to me, even though it's a small thing, it was kind of when I installed KDE Neon and I was playing with that because I'm an XFCE person normally. I love the customization of that. Everyone's been telling me, if you like customization, check out KDE. So, you know, uh, but Neon's really the first one that I've dove into for a long time in a while. And wow, the, is it just... Amazing, but that was one of the programs that caught my attention the most is the simplicity and usefulness of things like that. And then Plasma Vault, which is just a very, very simple idea. Once again, brilliantly implemented, user-friendly security encryption. And I think that's so important because when you talk about security with people, a lot of people's eyes glaze over because it's going to be some complex method and program you've got to install and do all these special steps to get it encrypted and da, 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 da. But you guys just made it so simple. You click through a couple of menus, you move your files over, it's done. Loved yep. it. That was a new feature that we had in the last release of Plasma. Um, and it just came from the idea that KDE has a, a focus on privacy now. Um, and, and so what can we do to to enable that for users and and well obviously built into the desktop just make sure you have a trivial way to uh, encrypt your files and and other content and this week it's shown how important that is because every single computer suddenly is has vulnerable to people trivially hacking it and so you do need to store all your details inside plasma vault yep nice okay so we've talked about some of the awesome features about kde so Let's bring up some of the critiques that people have on KDE. So one of the one of the critiques I hear all the time is the Discover Software Store. So I know that it's a work in progress, but um, it seems to me there's there needs to be a lot more work done in order to have it be a viable alternative for a software center. Because I usually install Synaptic if I'm running KDE. What's your thoughts on it? Um. I think Alash has put in a lot of hard work into it, and um, and our designers put a lot of hard work into it. Uh, it works very nicely for the users that I that I put into it, and it can be a bit experimental in its use of uh, Kiragami, which is our our user interface framework that we make it in in KDE, um, and so that's because it uses cutting edge there. Um, maybe it doesn't. Uh, maybe there's some quirks in when all the widgets show or, or how you interact with them. But I, whenever I ask people what problems they have, I, 
it's rare that they will actually be able to point to a particular problem. Um, well, one of the problems that I had with, this, uh, and I don't want to go into like every problem I have with it, uh, but I mean, one of the problems that I see is when you view your installed software, it doesn't sort your installed software in any form. It just, they're all randomly listed in like when you click on installed software. Mm -hmm. And then, right. I, I, you know, I ran into some issues here. First of all, I've fallen in love with KDE Neon. I think that's important to, to mention. It's finding its way on all of my computers right now. So it's a small critique, especially with all the good stuff that you've done. But the one area that I will tell you that frustrated me the most was Discover Software Store. Uh, mm -hmm. It was the it was just constantly locking up when you were trying to install things and or when you're typing, if you type too fast, it just kind of goes into a constant spin. And that was whether it was on the MacBook or the Ryzen build, it was kind of the same way. Now, certain times, if you stopped and opened it back up, it would immediately be fast, snappy, work like it was supposed to. Certain times I was able to get six or seven programs installing in a row and it was working beautifully. But every once in a while, it would do this hang and it's almost like it's caching too much or it's trying to cache the searches. Um, that because if you start searching and then you change your search, so let's say you start with, um, you know, I, I don't know, uh, KDE, and then you add plasma to the end of it, that's where it seems to really start to during those type of searches. And I've even seen on different forums people saying you got to type really slow and that type of stuff. So it seems like there may be like a caching there. But as far as the overall design of Discover Software Store, what I see there is the potential for one of the because. First of all, I don't know of a distribution, and I've tried a lot of them, that actually does a software store really well. It's just it's not something anybody really has yet. But the Discover Software Store is probably one of the ones where I see certain features, like when you're typing, it actually types, types your search across the banner as well. It's beautiful. The icons in there are beautiful. The descriptions are there. So I can see the hard work you're talking about. I think there's just those final touches and maybe some things out there that could make it literally perfect uh, from a software store uh, perspective. But like I said, not to beat up on it, because clearly a lot of work's gone into it, but there, there are some the issue, small issues there. Uh, yeah, that we, we, love, we love the, it's very important, of course, to, to, to find bugs or, or particular issues that people have. Uh, Discover will have the difficult job that it's, it's got to work cross-platform with all sorts mm -hmm. of different distributions and also from different sources as well. So it's not just about software, it's about uh, downloading the latest comics for the comic applet or uh, the latest uh, widget themes or icon sets from opendesktop.org. Uh, when something doesn't work, oh, and it also works cross device as well because it works on personal mobile and tablet stuff as well as on the desktop. Uh, so if you find issues like that, then absolutely please report them. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if you can, it's always nice if people take the time to be able to um, write a list of instructions so that the issues can be recreated. Exactly, um, right. And one of the great features about KDE Neon is we have Docker images so that you can easily recreate exactly the environment on any computer, it doesn't matter what distro it's running. Um, so using the, using the developer unstable Docker images, you can trivially install the latest stuff from Git and uh, in a fresh environment and work out does the bug that I've got here actually still exist as it is being developed in Git? Um, and here's the steps to do it. And then you can report that. And we find that immensely valuable when users follow that process. I actually well, you guys... saw a video of you uh, talking about Docker images. So how, do, how, how does someone go about, like for 
a regular user, is that is it easy enough for a regular user to use a Docker image? You need to use a command line. Um, so it depends how regular your user is. But as long as you're the sort of person who can use a command line, um, then yeah, it's it's trivial. Uh, there's a script that I wrote, which comes pre-installed on Neon, or you can just download its Ruby script called Neon Docker, and you run that. Um, and that will let you either run a, a Plasma um, full desktop inside a window in your in your desktop, or you can run individual applications, or you can run uh, a Wayland desktop if you want to test Wayland, or you can run an X desktop if you are on Wayland and you want to test X. Um, so there's there's all sorts of use cases for it which are, are very easy uh, to get up and running when you want to when you want to test. Does this particular environment have the same issue that I'm seeing over here? Nice. All right. So one of the questions we have from the uh, Patreon Center there is how much influence or interaction do you personally have with the individual programs for the KDE suite? Well, influence, I, I don't think I can <laughs> I can claim that much myself. Um, <laughs> but the important task of Neon is um, is that when a bit of software is, is compiling and running, um, then but they haven't quite done the final bit, or they haven't they haven't quite considered how it would work on on something which is different from the system that they have. Uh, so, just for example, uh, there's a Plasma GTK theme, so that uh, when you run Plasma, it will integrate your GTK applications and they look sensible. Um, but the developer of that removed support for GTK 3.18 for some old version because uh, it's considered old and unsupported by GTK. Um, but it turns out quite a lot of people still use that version, and so when that when we installed, updated the stuff in Neon, and went, hang on, this isn't working. We had to then go back to the the author there and say, um, this should probably be reverted because there's still an awful lot of users there. Um, so, do I have influence? I guess, in so far as Neon is a way that people get our software, um, then a lot of the developers will care that it works on on Neon. So, yes, I guess so you could say I'm, I'm very important. <laughs> He'll just stop feeding the guinea pigs, and then they'll do what he asks. <laughs> That's right. So one of the things that I did notice uh, when you talked about submitting a bug report, which this is an important thing that, frankly, um, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but in all the distro hopping in my year in Linux so far, it's one of those situations where I run into a bug, and I, first of all, I assume normally it's me. Uh, doing something stupid, but number two is, Usually it is. Uh, it probably is. And number two is um, the, the ability to submit a bug is often extremely difficult. This changed for me yesterday with KDE because I was doing something probably stupid again. And it, it was a widget thing I was messing with the settings behind and it ended up crashing and it immediately popped up and said, do you want to send this bug to KDE Neon? Uh, and I don't remember what the exact text, but that's essentially what it said. And what I'm used to is clicking next and assuming that goes nowhere, but it wasn't done. It starts going through these lines and, and taking and asking if I want to install this program to give them, give you guys deeper debugger information and explain exactly what happened. And it was so refreshing to see that because I really felt like for the first time, as somebody who doesn't know what to put in a bug report, that you guys are kind of guiding me as a novice along the process to give you something important that you can actually use. 
what's gone into that? Because I've not seen another bug report like it. Well, um, we've defined a number of KDE goals for the next forthcoming year or two. And one of those, one of those goals is to uh, streamline onboarding of new contributors. Uh, mm -hmm. So it means that when people want to help out, possibly because they found a bug and they, they're, they're annoyed and they want to show their annoyance or because they're lovely people who <laughs> want to help out, whatever reason, um, that, that it is people are guided through to, to the point where they can make some useful contribution. Um, and so we have Dr. Conkey, which is our, our crash handler, which is probably what you were, you were finding. Yep. Um, and that will give you a backtrace, which. That looks, was it, the backtrace install. Yeah. Looks, it's very technical and, and scary to most users. And, and you have to be a C++ programmer to know about it. Um, but especially they're not very useful if you don't have the debugging symbols installed. So Dr. Conkey should, should guide you through installing the debugging symbols. Yeah. So that then becomes useful. And then. Uh, guide you through uh, putting it onto the bug tracker, so so that we end up with a useful report, um, which can uh, detect duplicates, so that if multiple people do it, then it gets pointed to just being a duplicate report, um, or or it can be a shiny new report, fresh for the developers to take a look at. And that's the brilliant part too: is before you click submit, it says, "Hey, there are two other reports that are similar to yours. Look through these, make sure it's not the same thing. If it is, no problem. Just mark that." you're having the same issue and we still record it. So it, it just makes it so that normal users can feel like they're actually adding value to submitting bug reports. And I think it's a brilliant thing you guys have done. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. Okay. So let's talk more about the KDE goals for 2018. You said that you mentioned one already. You have two other ones that you guys outlined. So what are the two other ones? Well, uh, one is uh, privacy software to make sure that your computers aren't spying on you um, and uh, and that you're not vulnerable in the way that every single computer is now vulnerable and we live in a dystopian future, which is horrifically <laughs> scary. Um, so we feel this is a bit of an important point in this day and age. Um, and and so, for example, in Kitty Neon, we've put a lot of work into the fairly unsexy, uninteresting uh, part of having a, a signing um, all the code from from developer to uh, in installation on the machine, um, where you have the difficult process of making sure that the code which is written over here is actually code that gets um, gets run on the computer over there, and there isn't some hacker somewhere in between putting on some code which is going to end up blackmailing you and making sure that you you end up in a fist fight in the forest to the death. <laughs> and this involves all of GPG keys and, and making sure those keys are are in the sensible place and able to verify that, that it's the correct ones. And it involves a lot of doing that in an automated way, because if you did it manually, you'd make mistakes and you'd get bored. Um, and so making sure our systems can do that securely in an automated way to make sure that the software that you get installed from, from Neon and, and hopefully other uh, distributors will, will pick it up um, is the software that gets released by, by the KD developers. And the last uh, goal? The last goal is usability and productivity for basic software. So so one of the uh, fabulous things that's occurred in KDE in the last few years is the uh, creation of the visual design group. Um, and this is a bunch of uh, sort of arty party people who aren't the, the biggest nerds, um, but uh, like software to be beautiful in terms of looks and beautiful in terms of how you use it. Exactly. Um, and, and that 
takes it, it's taken some change in the culture of KDE because, for example, we all used IRC. Now, nobody in this day and age wants to use IRC unless unless there's some hardcore nerd. And the sort of people who, who want to make icons don't want to use IRC. They, they want to use Telegram or, or some other more friendly method. So we've, right. we've had to work out ways that um, different different talents of people with different preferences for working uh, can become part of the same one big community. And, and hopefully we've successfully done that. So one of the areas that uh, is near and dear to my heart, because I've spent 18 years now in the industry, is in the mobile arena. I don't consider Android a true Linux solution because it does not implement the things we love Linux for. I don't think it's particularly incredibly secure or private or any of those things that we like. So the idea of having a true Linux-based device to me is incredibly um, mouth-watering. I would love to get my hands on one. And you guys are doing something with Plasma Mobile here. And in fact, uh, I've ordered myself a Nexus 5 for fun to put Plasma on it. Uh, but can you tell us a little bit more about this project? Uh, Plasma Mobile has been going on for a number of years, and mm -hmm. it's just a result of the technologies and decision, decisions that we made when we were first starting Plasma uh, that you would, it, simple by default, powerful when needed, that you'd boot it up and it would have that sort of Windows 95 uh, interface with a start menu over here and the applications over here. Um, but it would be infinitely configurable so that it could scale down to what at the time was a, a netbook in, interface, a small laptop, and, mm -hmm. and then smartphones came along. So we designed it to be able to scale down to smartphones. Um, and um, my good friend Bushan has, is continuing to work hard on on uh, making sure that that runs successfully, not just on the Nexus, but on every project, because he's integrated it with Project Hallium, which is what came out of Ubuntu Touch project when uh, that was dropped as a commercial project. People took that up as a as a community project and said, well, let's work together with Plasma Mobile and other people um, so that there's support for it on a whole range of different devices. Um, and it should work quite nicely. And then last year, some people popped up who were called Purism, and they organized a crowdfunder in order to make yep. a commercial uh, phone. And... They blew their target out of the water, so they they got an awful lot more dollars than they were hoping for, and um, and the lead developer there is a guy called Zlatan, and and he's he lives in Bosnia, and he's got blue hair, and and he's uh, <laughs> really hardworking, and um, and and he knows how to how to fit everything together, including the business people who Purism have and the technology people um, who KDE have. Um, and make sure that you can actually get a, a final working phone. Yeah, uh, we, we were following that crowdfunding on several episodes, over several episodes of Destination mm -hmm. Linux. And it was so funny because it started, wow, they're really close to meeting their goal. Then the next week is, well, they've meet their, met their goal. And then the next week is, well, they've exceeded their goal by like 25%. It just kept growing and growing, which I think shows there's such a, there is an interest out there for a true Linux-based mobile device on the market. I don't know if we'll ever see one in US, although one of my 2018 predictions, just because I'm hoping if I put it out there, it'll make it so, is that a US carrier will have uh, carry a Linux device at some point uh, this year. So hopefully it will happen. 
uh, because I think there's much need for it. And I think for the first time in the mobile market, people were pretty tired. Android and iOS, frankly, have gotten tired. People are kind of like, yeah, there's really nothing exciting and new revolutionary coming out there. So I think there really is room for a third player here. And I'm, I would love to see it be Plasma for sure. Because it looks gorgeous if you watch some of the videos out there on it. I mean, it's beautifully done. So And it, it fits into the, the KDE um, goal of privacy software because, again, on, on people with their phones are beginning to realize that um, it's, it's important uh, to them to make sure that nobody can listen into their calls or messages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you can't do that with a system as complex as Android and certainly not with iOS. Um, so the only way to do that is to have a system where you, you know where the software has come from, who's made it, and how it's verifiable. And the only way to do that is is with Linux and Plasma. Yep. Okay, so you're not just in the uh, Plasma Mobile, but you are you have what's called a KDE Slimbook. So let's talk about that for a minute. So what is exactly the Slimbook, and where did the idea come from? Oh, oh, we've got a demo. Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Uh, so th- this was a, a company in Spain um, who make Linux laptops, and and they kind of saw what we were doing with KD Neon, where uh, instead of having this separate organization, we we wanted to make um, our software available from the people who make the software. And so they thought, well, why not make the hardware available for the people who make the software? So they worked uh, together with us to make this shiny new laptop. And it's got a shiny KDE logo on it. And, <laughs> Look uh, at that. and it, it, it looks very slick, right? Um, is that aluminum base there? Kind of like uh, Max generally have? Or is that yes, plastic? So. Yeah. Aluminum, yeah. uh, very uh, nice. So, so it's a pretty high-end machine as well built. Um, I believe it cost a thousand euro up to lots more. No, less than a thousand euro, up to over a thousand euro if you if you add in all the extras if you want everything with it. Right. Um, and, well, with an uh, aluminum chassis like that, I mean that's far cheaper than a MacBook. You'll ever get a MacBook for oh, it, yes, that's for sure. Definitely. So I mean, um, that's a brilliant price. And it means when you're running your your stuff, then you know you you've got the same hardware that that I've got and some other KD developers have. Um, so when you report a bug saying the webcam doesn't work or or some some hardware integration issue, then we can test that and try it out. Mm-hmm. I can tell you guys have focused on uh, laptops and that type of thing. There are a lot of distros I install on laptops and you'll close the lid and it never shuts down or uh, the function keys don't work or of course the modem doesn't, the Wi-Fi stuff isn't there, but Neon, all of that worked like it was supposed to. You close the lid, the lights go out, everything shuts down. You guys have actually put a lot of work in there and I don't see that across the board, which I thought was really nice as well. It's really great to work with the people who, who uh, put together the hardware in, in Spain and have them uh, come directly to us because all too often there's companies who, who just um, seem to stay strangely distant from the people who make the software for their, for their device. Now, yeah. will they ship to the U.S.? Do you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. of course, with a US keyboard and US power supply and, and whatever you want. Brilliant. Would you like an exclusive? Yes, <laughs> oh, I yeah. would love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very secret. You're not allowed to tell anybody. Super top right. secret. Everyone in chat, you got to be secret. We we're working on the Model 2 KDE Slimbook. Nice. So we're upgrading oh, the, the hardware specifications to make it twice as shiny. 
twice as light, uh, twice as interesting. Um, you've got, well, that's USB-C there. If you've got a USB-C stuff, then you've got HDMI. And Is that micro SD? Yeah. 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 Mic micro SD, uh, a bit more um, inputs, more USB. I gotta uh, see that touchpad. The touchpad's where it's. Oh, look at that big yeah, touch. Oh, oh look yeah, at that. man! Touchpad's I love the big touchpad. Yeah. So uh, you can click anywhere on it, whereas you couldn't on the previous one. And that's Tux the penguin sticker over there. And Isn't important that feature, of course, is is the, you've got a Tux key as well. It's <laughs> oh, you get a Tux here. key, dude! It's worth it just for that. That's so, awesome. So this is still in development. I'm not allowed to show it to you. Um, and I don't know when it will be launched. I guess within the next month or or two. Um, and it should be uh, uh, a very, very nice tool to have in your desk. Absolutely oh, yeah. awesome. That looks so much fun. I could get rid of that MacBook that you make fun of me about, Rocco. It only runs Linux, Dude, but I got but it because of the you, aluminum frame. Look, and now I have run, an option. There you go. Why would you want to run a MacBook yeah. when you can run this? Linux? I won't anymore. I'm going to go get that. <laughs> and I'm going to show it to you and make you jealous. You do that. <laughs> All right, what else do we got? You there's another notebook you were telling us about that's like $99. This is called the Bamboo Book. Pine is it the Bamboo? So this is another Pine book. That was close. And, and uh you don't like to tell anybody about it because you're still working development and you have to keep it to yourself. All right, um, but, everybody. We won't tell anybody. This is, called, this is called a Pine Book, and it's to fit into exactly the diametrically opposite um uh market than the the high-end slim book. This is mm -hmm. $99, 75 pounds, um, oh my gosh. 80 euro. Uh, so it's quite a new price point for, for a laptop. It, it uses an ARM chip, of course, um, so it can't run Windows on the whole. Um, oh my, that's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, a, it's a real laptop. It's got uh, USB slots in there, HDMI slots. Uh, I mean, it's an speed. ARM processor, but it's got 1.2 gigahertz, 64-bit quad-core ARM processor. So there's some power in there. It's not, yeah. especially running Linux. Is this going to come with KDE Neon? Uh, so you get it at the moment, and it comes with uh, something called Mate. And, and so what we've been working on in KDE for the last few months <laughs> something was, <called> is Mate. <laughs> making sure that, that, it, uh, that our stuff works on it as quickly as possible. Um, and so we booted up the, the pre-installed uh, distro on it and we saw how much memory it used and then we booted up KD Neon on it when we got that working and saw that it used less memory and so decided that clearly we have to convince them to, to ship our stuff instead. Um, so hopefully Definitely. we can we can convince them to do that. Well, we would love to. And number one is uh, the 11 inch looks like it's out of stock right now. You can't. Uh, well, none of them are in stock. You can't order them, but you can't even sign up for the 11 inch, but you can sign up for the 14 inch, which is $99 US. And I did sign up for it, but I signed up for it under the impression this will have KD Neon on it. So you let them know they're going to get a whole order <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if they get Neon on there, a whole one, so we'll um, be making, at least because it we'll looks be making, awesome. We'll be making those Neon images available probably at, at FOSDEM, which is a big European conference uh, at the end of January. Um, and then hopefully they'll they'll see the lights and start putting it on by default. It would be lovely. Uh, when, when you buy them, they, they stock up the number of orders. So they wait until they've got a few thousand people ordered and, and then they manufacture them so they can do it at scale and, and cheaply. And that's why you can't just order one to be shipped today. So it, it takes a bit of patience or looking around eBay or something to find them. I've just got to convince the wife why I need it would be a ninth computer at this point. Um, 
it's it's there's got to be something I need this for that my other computers can't do. I'll, I'll think of it at some point. Well, it's really exciting because, as I say, it's a new price point. So people yeah. for whom laptops were were out of reach before, like um, a whole buying a single computer for a whole class of school children. So mm, you can do right. you do that at this kind of price. Something that's available, and uh, suddenly people are going to realise that they don't they don't need Windows or Mac. They it's good enough to use Plasma on their stuff. And we can finally settle the myth that Plasma is heavy. Can just and settle that. Goodness knows where that nonsense idea came from, because <laughs> these days Plasma uh, boots up nice and fast and uh, uses only a fraction of memory that you have, leaving even lots of memory for all your applications. Was there a point that Katie did this? Did this myth come from? Generally, myths come from some period of time. Was there a period of time where it was heavy compared to what was out at the moment, or did anybody know why it ever came about? It's, it's always hard to say, pinpoint these things down because uh, computer memory is a very hard thing to measure because it's not a simple, it uses this much memory. Right. Um, but it, it probably would have come from stuff like the... Uh, Kitty used to have a splash screen, for example. So you boot up uh, the desktop, it would have a splash screen uh, that would then keep the user occupied while everything was loading. But right. loading, that, loading that splash screen would would mean loading all the same stuff that the desktop needed to load. So it, it, it was doing all this heavy work just to load the splash screen to keep the user occupied <laughs> so that it could then do heavy work to load the desktop. That's kind of like what Windows does, yeah. And, and that's the sort of detail that it, it needs somebody to come along with fresh eyes and fresh tooling to go, why are we doing this? Let, let's just drop the splash screen and then it boots in half the time. So uh, yeah, we've long since dropped that splash screen. Very interesting. All right, so what upcoming changes can you share with us for KDE Neon? Seeing how you're talking about secrets. Do you got any secrets on KDE Neon? Yeah, when, when are some new <laughs> updates coming? <laughs> well, uh, nothing is particularly a secret. We, we work entirely in the open and we're a nice friendly community. Um, and of course, the the big news will be uh, Plasma 5.12, which is a long-term support edition of KDE's flagship original and best Linux desktop. Um, and it won't have that much in the way of kind of shiny flashy features for the user because what people have been saying rightly is, well, we want stability and we want speed improvements. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, a lot of what 5.12 will have will be uh, booting up faster, running in lower memory, uh, being more being more efficient and, and more intelligent about when it degrades to, um, to support lower software or lower hardware or whatever. Um, and a lot of that comes from the work on the Pinebook and a lot of it comes from the work on the phone. So it, it's useful um, to, to work on these platforms because that feeds throughout the whole project. Uh, 5.12, we delayed it so that we could get some new, we could depend on some new stuff. So they'll have a beta out on January the 15th and the release will be at the start of February. Yeah, it looks like February 6th, I think. So you said yes, that, will, like that yeah you said that will be an LTS. So what happens to the five point eight is the current LTS? What happens to that? Do you still support it, or does it just everybody just automatically get upgraded to five twelve? How's it work? I seem to remember we've got another release or two scheduled for five point eight. Uh, the reason why five point twelve is another long term support was because we like to work with our users, and Sousa came to us and said, "Well, we've got a new edition of." Susa, something important coming out on this date. Can can we have 
a long-term support tradition to go with it. Uh, so we rejigged our schedules and um, and uh, to fit in with that. Um, so we have so hopefully SUSE will be able to ship 5.12 LTS um, in whatever, whenever their next release is. Um, and 5.8, I think, is scheduled to be supported until the end of the year. Don't quote me on that, but you can you can check quite easily. Um, and in Neon, we'll be upgrading Neon long-term support edition to 5.12, uh, hopefully on the day of release. Nice. Well, you guys are doing some fantastic work, clearly. It certainly caught my attention. And so you've seen a lot of changes happen in Linux over the years. I know everybody that I've talked to talks about the dark ages of Linux where everything was the terminal. Now things have changed uh, tremendously. There is a joke going around that everybody says every year is the year of Linux that I've noticed. So I'm going to ask you, is 2018 finally going to be the year of the Linux desktop? Yes, I can smell it. it it's that close. It's that close. Because now we've got we've got really cheap laptops that come directly with our stuff for ninety nine bucks. Man. Really well built, good, high Beautiful. quality laptops that come with our stuff. Surely, surely everyone's going to be wanting one of these by the end of the year. Twenty eighteen. Fill all the gaps. So, yep, it starts here. Twenty eighteen's the year. You heard it here mm-hmm. first. <laughs> Well, I got to ask you, uh, because and it goes back to one of the questions that I was going to ask you before, um, KD is full of settings to customize. Are there, what settings do you customize on Jonathan Riddle's desktop? When you install it, what do you do? Do you do anything different? You just run vanilla neon. I pretty much run vanilla and it, w- it would be fairly hypocritical to some extent if I didn't, because I, I'm the Plasma release manager, so if I didn't like a setting, then then I should have already changed it, right? Or, so you don't install a dock or anything? Like Latte Dock? No, or... no. no. Um, and Latte Dock, it, it's a beautiful bit of software. People love that stuff. Um, and and so I've guided through that project into, into KDE to make sure it's being released as a full KDE project, and we can yep. integrate it into into Neon, and that's that's really satisfying to do that when people go, oh, this is the most awesome thing ever. Now I can go back to KDE because it's got silly doc. I mean, awesome doc. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it happens not to be, I, I don't have a personal use for it. Uh, well, it. Well, 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 surely you I changed don't... the wallpaper or something to like a canoe. Uh, no, no, you leave the wallpaper <laughs> the same too, man. You're a purist. <laughs> well, I love latte doc. So a lot of times I will, use that as the main panels for everything when I'm running KDE. So mm. I thought it was a great thing to have them be uh, brought into the KDE team. Well, I played with Latte Doc yesterday, but then I remembered, hey, this is kind of like XFCE and that you could just create another panel yourself and make your own doc. So that's what I did. I basically just created an extra panel and made a doc through the panel system uh, that auto hides up above and it worked brilliantly. So it was kind of nice. Didn't have to have a separate program, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, 2017 just passed. We're into 2018. There's all kinds of new stuff coming out. Any um, any predictions you're willing to make for 2018? Um, I think 
it will be a uh, can i get political <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you we may not join you on your journey but you can <laughs> we'll send the fan mail to you will be a year of social and economic disaster for the uk as it creates borders and and mm -hmm. limits itself in the world and then scotland will have a referendum for independence and we'll gain independence and we'll be free to join the rest of the world the scots will be country. free again and we can have our iron brew however we want it. We're not. We're not going to be. We're not going to be succumbing to the nanny state nonsense. We're we're going to have our iron brew how we want it with lots of sugar. Dang was that a tax. nanny state bottle? What was that? That's awesome. <laughs> that is hilarious. I love it. Love it. Yeah. So one question we didn't ask Rocco, and it's not on this document. Uh -oh. It's really a shame. It just shows how disorganized we are. John, do you, do you play games? Mm, rarely, rarely. Okay, well, I'm, we need you to purchase Rocket League because we're starting a whole Rocket League club. See, just like you're trying to switch everybody to KDE, we're trying to switch everybody to play Rocket League. To play Rocket League, yeah. We are unsuccessful I mean, at the moment. You are more world... successful than us. <laughs> <laughs> imagine a world where you could game with Rocco and me at the same time. And lose nearly every match. Well, hang on. I've got some some people to take that on. Surely, my <laughs> surely, surely these girls could could take you on. They probably would show us it. up. Yeah, they just they would win for sure. Just look out. I love it. So, what are the names of the guinea pigs? What's the what's going from the white one? What's the white, tan, and black one's uh, name? The white one is Pippi, and she is a matronly, elderly one, uh -huh. and the. Uh, the one she's with at the ball is uh, is Betty, and she's the explorer one. And the one lying down is Haggis, who's the the child of the group. See, I figured they'd all have K names, right? <laughs> one of my Krita, Caden, and <laughs> one of my greatest achievements in KDE, I like to think, is trying to reduce the use of uh, of K names because the <laughs> crazy things ever. Um, when I when I organized Academy in Glasgow a decade ago, uh, back then the conference was still spelled with a lowercase a and an uppercase k, and I I said for the announcement they said well this this year we renaming it to just be a capital A, and this caused the whole uproar on our secret <laughs> internal mailing list, causing two months worth of flaming debate where people go now I love my uppercase k in the middle of a word, and then we had to have a vote which took another two months, and then eventually. We renamed our conference to just have an uppercase A and a lowercase K. So my greatest achievement in KDE is removing stupid uppercase Ks in the middle of the world for no reason. Thank you for your work on that. <laughs> it will not ever be forgotten. That's right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Um, what is it like to have that many people all at once working on one project? I mean, it seems like it would be awesome in one sense and then yet a nightmare in another sense to coordinate everything. Uh, and that's part of the fun of it. And it, it just mirrors the real world, which is full of um, any number of people working on any number of different projects. And uh, within KDE, we have all sorts of different projects now, including including stuff like wiki to learn So we've got a whole academic books wiki, um, which which is uh, completely off at a tangent compared to where we started it off as a, as a desktop project, but because they find value in us as a friendly community, we can support them uh, through um, 
through cross projects, um, collaborations, like the translations and, and make sure it's usable and the, the infrastructure, the assignment, um, then they find useful use in that and, and value in being part of that community. And, uh, and of course, it's great when we get to come together every year for Academy and, uh, and meet up with people from around the world. And that's really valuable part of the experience is meeting from people from all around the world. Right. Now, if somebody wanted to take on a new language to help with KDE, obviously C would be one, right? C++ would be one of the key languages, but is there an easier language like Ruby, Python, that would also be of benefit? Well, of course, it depends what, what project you want to work on. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so most of our widget C projects, they're C++, uh, but an awful lot of it is written cute quick as well, which is uh, Qt's new new issues, quite a number of years old now. Um, technology to make sort of user interfaces that people are used to now on smartphones, where widgets will slide and zoom and, and scale and swoosh around the place. Uh, and that's a that's a JavaScript language, uh, so it's very very well understood by an awful lot of people, um, mm -hmm. especially people who are coming from HTML5 and, and JavaScript, um, and uh, and it's a beautiful language to work with in a lot of ways and it integrates well with the rest of C++ and the rest of what we do. Um, so yeah, I recommend learning too quick. Nice. So we always advocate for people to, if they're using a certain piece of software, uh, to support that software, whether it be monetarily or just support or helping bug out reporting, in, in bug reporting. So what are, what do you need? What do you need the most as far as support, uh, in KDE? Uh, you can't pin it down to one thing. It is, it is what you say. It's people giving us donations is fabulous. People sponsoring hardware. If you, if you typically companies want to support us through that, that's that's great. Um, reporting uh, or or something like supporting uh, a sprint. So people who have a nice venue and take Munich, the city of Munich, for example, they invite us out every year to uh, just meet in their offices and they they cook us food and give us beer all weekend and we get to be together and, and work on whatever we're working on. Um, and because Munich runs, um, runs KDE software, um, of course they get the benefit of, of being able to uh, discuss issues with us and we can discuss issues with them. And so, um, yeah, it's great supporting that they support us by in, in a way that doesn't cost them any money because it's just, uh, using the the offices and the space that they have. Well, I would be uh, I would regret this if I didn't ask this question or or say this the rest of my life. Okay, so oh man, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know about this. This isn't in the script. So you have you have you know influence on software. We've already established that at least some. So please bring bring back the openness root in KDE Dolphin. <laughs> the file manager <laughs> please <laughs> it is one of the reasons i went to thunar for the love uh, of yeah. god <laughs> have you seen the news today every computer is vulnerable through every program and, i know uh, but it's just you still have we, to enter the root password we live in a dystopian future where where you can end up in a fistfight to the death in the forest because somebody's broken into your computer and blackmailed you by by taking pictures of you and and Oh, uh, you're talking about a Black Mirror episode. I saw where you're going, man. I've been watching the new season, by the way. It's amazing if you haven't seen it yet. 
and you you don't want to end up like that. So yeah. so you want yeah. to make sure that the software you're running is at least as secure as it can be, and and that's that's vitally important. And and uh, I mean, it's a national crisis that England had when their their NHS, the health service, all the computers got shut down and, yeah. and their health records were blackmailed back to them. Right. So you don't want to have your, your national health service shut down and blackmailed back to you. You've got to, got to be secure in, in every possible way that you can be. So is the idea then that a hacker would be too dumb to open the terminal and type in the root password there? Because you still have to type in a root password. I mean, it's not like you go open from open in terminal and it does the password for you. So it's it's literally just taking out a step of opening the terminal, right? Or is there uh, some more insecurity to it I'm not thinking of? As soon as you have a graphical program running as root, that will involve a lot of uh, privileged code running in memory, and and that will make it ah, see, infinitely more, more likely that, that there'll be some some way that code can escape and, and be taken over by another process. Um, so it, it is a dangerous thing to run, I'm afraid. Also, if people are being asked for their password on the computer, quite quite often then they just become routine now i'm being asked for a password here's my root password and it becomes relatively easy for a spoofing program to put that up on screen um saying give me your root password and users just type it in because they want it to go away and then and then next thing you know you're you're in a fist fight in the forest because you've been blackmailed <laughs> into, into a fight to the death and you don't want to be in a fight that to the episode death. really stuck with you didn't <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, Jonathan, it has been awesome to get to talk to you. Is there anything Absolutely. else you, you want to share with yeah, us? Any other top secrets you any got there? Super top secrets? Uh, not off the top of my head. I <laughs> okay, am, okay. need to drink my iron brew and, and be your last there. one. Yeah. Well, we, last have, one. we appreciate you spending so much time with us. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. We hope you'll come back. You're welcome. Anything. Take care. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Did you send the invitation to Jonathan? Um, I did. Oh, that's okay then. Because if Ryan had said it, he was sitting there last night. <laughs> he's over, he's over three weeks ago. <laughs> See, our patrons are so used to me screwing up, they're able to work around it. Right. <laughs> they know you well. <laughs> they're like, oh, whatever he posts is probably wrong, so let's wait for the update. <clears throat> Listen, <laughs> I'm the better half of this show. And let me tell you, sir, I will tangent all I want. Really? That's my tangent. That's my tangent. <laughs> You're the better half of this show, Whatever. Can I turn Ryan's recording off? If you want, you can do it by yourself. I'm sure it'll be brilliant. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be breathtaking speech from Rocco by himself. Wow. <clears throat> the guy who doesn't even run Neon. Okay. And you can't get Neon to work right, probably. No. I'm it's a... very technical. It's like I3. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh, rudeness. Oh my gosh, I finally got one right. You did. So, I mean... I, I guess a, a broken clock's right twice. Yeah. Twice a day. You know it. I was going to say twice a week. <laughs> Zeb, should I repost the Patreon? Did you get the Did you get the email? 
on Patreon because I updated a post from yesterday, but I don't know if it resends out when you. It update. doesn't. Okay. Uh, no, it didn't. Maybe the better half should probably repost <laughs> that. I got the invitation by Big Daddy today, so that was cool. Uh, and I got the invitation. He finally sent that out late. Yeah, we got the invitation to edit the document. That was fine. Um, I don't send out the invitation until the time is nailed down. Mm-hmm. And the time wasn't nailed down till this morning. No, sure, yeah, yeah. But you sent it out this afternoon. You should stop to work. I, I should have. I should have left work early just to send out the invitation. Yes, I, I should have. Uh, You're right. Okay, Thursday, January 4th. Did I get the date right this time? Maybe once for once at 3 p.m.? Uh, Good thing yeah, we're sending it out yeah. with five minutes of notice. Listen, I mean, it's already there, technically. It's just now we're sending a reminder. <laughs> Run! Run! one I'm looking at does say one slash three. Was that meant to say one slash four? It was. It was. But Oh, that's the one that Clifford picked up on. The better half. Wait, it still says one three? I don't know. I'm just looking at the email. I found oh. it. Again. Okay, it doesn't fix the email either. <laughs> no, that's because it doesn't resend yeah. it. It only edits yeah. the post. Uh, oh, what about that? Imagine uh. that. <laughs> <laughs> It's only like the third time I've gotten the date wrong. <laughs> the better half of the show um, gets the date wrong. All Zeb, the then I just, then I say to him like it was three episodes, four episodes. Then I say to him, I don't care what you do, just, just get the info get the right. Date right. Get the info <laughs> right. That's Type all I whatever care about. you want, but get the info right. Has he got <laughs> the info right at once yet? I I think I did do one one time. time. You got it right. Yeah, one time. Hey John, can you hear us yet? Nope. We can just mime to him. Yep. We can hold up paper with the questions on it. Do you think we'll get good answers? <laughs> can he draw that fast? <laughs> Dictionary. <laughs> well, none of us are talking now, so of course he can't hear us. Well, of course he can't hear us. <laughs> can you, oh, you can hear us now? Yes, Matt. Oh, all right, it works. We can hear you. Hey, John. Sorry you had to join us on the circus we have here. And That's what? our producer, Zeb, John. So okay. I, uh, he keeps things organized, or he tries to keep us clowns organized over here anyway. So. Good luck with that. <laughs> exactly. That's what I said. They never let me know what it was like when they employed me. <laughs> what are we paying him again? <laughs> oh, millions, millions. Rocco, who do you have working on this podcast? With you? You know? <laughs> it's, it's terrible. It's like thing. a bunch of clowns. Good help is hard to find. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Good help is hard to find. We should play the circus music when we start. <laughs> I think they already know. <laughs> they, if they don't know by now, something's wrong. <laughs>